in this talk today, I will share some thoughts on forgiveness and how it relates to metta. Some years ago, I read a book that moved me and touched me a lot. And I have to admit, it also caused many tears. Tears because this person in the book had experienced so much humiliation, so much suffering, so much injustice. Also, tears because this person responded to all this suffering with boundless love, with great perseverance, and also with incredible patience. At no time did this person's heart turn to resentment or to anger, ill will. When three of his daughters were killed in an attack, his answer was based on the infinite power of love and forgiveness. There's a book about this, and it's called I Shall Not Hate. So this person is called Isildin Abuelaish. I don't know if the pronunciation is correct. He grew up in one of the refugees camps in the Gaza Strip. He was a very bright and intelligent kid, and so he got a scholarship to study medicine. And after completing his studies, for a long time, he worked as the only Palestinian doctor in an Israeli hospital. He had become, and he still is, a gynecologist and also an expert in fertility. And he is famous and well-recognized all around the world. He also became known or famous as the Gaza doctor. So in his books, we can read about the difficult everyday life in Gaza, waiting for hours to cross the border, and about the family life between hope and despair. The first major blow in his life was the death of his beloved wife, Nadia, who died of an acute leukemia in 2008. So, Isildin, he was left with eight children. And then, during the Gaza War in early 2009, his home was bombed by the Israeli army, and this killed three of his daughters and one of his nieces. So at that time, Isildin would have had every reason to struggle with his fate and 
you know, to hate the Israelis, who in a worldly sense were responsible for the death of his three daughters and Denise. However, he did not resort to anger, but he stayed with his conviction, namely to walk the path of forgiveness, to walk the path of reconciliation and understanding. And as an external manifestation of this attitude, he set up an, an, a foundation in honor of his daughters and his niece. It's the foundation, Daughters for Life Foundation. And this foundation supports girls and young women from the Middle East in the areas of health and education. So these words, I shall not hate, they express a meta-karuna attitude on the one hand, and on the other hand, I shall not hate expresses an attitude of forgiveness. Or we can say in other words, metta and karuna, or loving kindness and compassion, they are very closely related to forgiveness. As we know from our metta meditation practice, this practice is about connecting with the other person or with ourselves, connecting at the, at the heart level. And in a, in a way, this means the ability to put yourself into the other person's uh, life and to see them as a simple human being, like me. So if we manage to have genuine and pure metta, karuna, for any person, but also especially for a difficult person, then forgiveness is included. You know, maybe we have made the personal experience that metta and or karuna, they do have the power to resolve the anger or resentment we feel towards another person. And when that anger and or resentment resolves, actually then forgiveness takes place. Elisabeth Kübler-Ross. She was Swiss, but then lived for many years in the United States. And she has become famous in the area um, of hospice work, dealing with the dying. One of the founders for the research on the dying. And she had said, compassion and kindness 
are unique qualities of the human heart that have the power to transform anger and resentment into forgiveness. But sometimes, for one reason or another, Metta and Karuna do not have the power to dissolve the hatred or the resentment. The harm, the suffering may be so deep that we must actively seek forgiveness. I mean, if we really want it. So forgiveness, this can be seen as a way of letting go of the past, or forgiveness as a way of making peace with the past. Forgiveness is like a new start. It's a fresh beginning. It's a renewal. And if we can forgive others and ourselves for the harm or the suffering or the injustice that had been done, then our hearts will become lighter and open wounds can start to heal. But forgiveness can be blocked by many things. One of these things is the feeling that through forgiveness we would approve of the behavior that has caused the harm. But to forgive does not mean I if I forgive you, but it's okay that you have hurt me. It doesn't mean it's okay that you have harmed me. So it does not mean that we do approve of any harm or injustice that has been done. And the Dalai Lama expressed it in this way. Forgiveness or patience does not mean that you always accept everything that others do to you. Rather, forgiveness means that we let go of the anger or the resentment for our own sake. We let go of it, or we try to let go of it, because we realize that holding on to that anger or resentment, this would keep us caught in our suffering, often for a long time, sometimes for the rest of one's life. So when we forgive, we acknowledge that the other person is more than just their harmful behavior. We also may understand that the other person, by that behavior, was not in her best form. We try to see that this other person is just another human being with 
their shortcomings, with their faults. And we understand that this other person most likely has also been harmed or hurt in one way or another. So the practice of forgiveness, this takes place, first of all, in ourselves. We forgive to heal ourselves. Eva Kaur was a person who uh, had survived the concentration camp in Auschwitz. She was the only one in her family who survived. All the others had died. And for her, forgiveness was an important step to live in peace. She had said, I firmly believe that every person has the right to live without the pain of the past. Most of the people have a big problem with forgiveness because society asks for revenge. We have to respect the victims and acknowledge their painful memories. But I always ask myself if my beloved ones who have all died really want that I live with hatred and rage for the rest of my life. I do the practice of forgiveness for myself. Forgiveness is an act of healing myself which gives me a lot of power. I call it a miraculous remedy. It does not cost anything, it works, and there are no harmful side effects. Another reason that can block forgiveness is the desire for revenge, the desire for retaliation. But if we retaliate, this only gives a temporary feeling of relief or satisfaction, if it gives it at all. But if we think we need to revenge ourselves, so with our revenge, we want the other person we want to let the other person know how much they had hurt us. So we want to inflict some kind of harm or suffering to the other person so that she will experience hopefully the same kind of suffering I have experienced. And here's an example when I was small, a kid. I and my brothers, we used to play with the Lego, these little kind of blocks you can put together and make all different kinds of things. So I was building this nice house, and when I had finished, one of my brothers came and he destroyed my Lego house. Of course, I was not pleased. 
I was upset. So then the next day, again playing with the Lego uh, things, that day my brother made a car out of the Lego. And then it was my turn to destroy his Lego car. Of course, I wanted to let him know how much he had hurt me, so give it back to him. If we cannot forgive, then we will remain stuck. And often it is easier to blame something else than to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. So if we blame uh, somebody else, and if we hold the other person responsible for our suffering, so with this we move the problem outside. So then the other person is guilty, and I, I am the victim. And somehow the ego likes the role of being a victim. And as we probably know from our own experience, then the ego can wallow on the victim role, wallow in self-pity. And by doing so, the ego immensely inflates himself. So this role of being the victim has this bittersweet taste to it. And somehow the ego likes it. And so if we stick to this role of being the victim, then we are bound to live with this attitude or state of mind. But if we are able to forgive, then we can go beyond the role of being the victim. And on top of that, we also are able to overcome all forms of anger, ill will, or resentment. Elisabeth Kübler-Ross, she calls forgiveness the radical giving up of the role of being a victim. So when we are able to give up this role of being a victim, then we can regain our power. If we cannot forgive, then we actually remain under the power and influence of the other person. As I already mentioned, the first step of forgiveness is to see the other person as a human being. A human being like me, like you. It's important to recognize that just like me, the other person, they also make mistakes. Or just like me, sometimes other persons are also weak or are overcome with a negative emotion. 
or just like me, sometimes other people are insensitive and confused. Or just like me, other persons feel lonely or uh, abandoned. So this recognition that other people are just like me helps in the process of forgiveness. We see that they too are on a journey with ups and downs. They are on a journey of having likes and dislikes. Often it's easier to forgive others than to forgive ourselves. We can be so hard on ourselves. We can be so stuck on simply seeing our weak points, our bad sides, and with that blame ourselves, judge ourselves. Maybe we have said some annoying words to somebody else and then only afterwards realizing it. You know, under no circumstances should I have said these annoying words to this other person. I'm such a failure. I'm such a bad person. Or thinking I should have never sent this letter this messed up my whole life. Such a damn person. But if we are stuck in these thoughts, in this attitude towards ourselves, so if we cannot forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we have done or for our weak points, then they will continue to haunt us, to follow us. It can be for days, for months, even for years, even for the rest of our life. Of course, after we may have said these annoying words, afterwards we know better of course, we would not have said these annoying words if we were more present or if we were not overcome by the anger and so on. So a key to be able to forgive ourselves is the realization that we would have acted differently if we had known a better way in that very moment. Nobody would make the decision. Now sending off this letter is a good mistake that I will make. Or nobody decides, now I will say these annoying words so that I will regret them for many weeks to come. So in such a situation, we acted the way we did because the circumstances 
were just the way they were. Internal circumstances, external circumstances. In that very moment, we simply thought we did the right thing. Or we may have been hurt ourselves and then responded in an inappropriate way, out of habit. So reflecting on the, this, we then uh, can forgive ourselves because we can admit that we are not perfect or that we are not yet perfect, that we cannot know, not yet know everything. In order to forgive, there is a little forgiveness practice, which has three parts or three steps. The first one is to ask others for forgiveness. And it can be with a, with a phrase like, whoever I've had, whoever I have harmed or hurt or disappointed or betrayed intentionally or unintentionally, I ask for forgiveness or please forgive me. The second step is to forgive ourselves. We could use a phrase like, just like I have hurt and harmed others, I have hurt and harmed or disappointed myself intentionally or unintentionally. I forgive myself. And then the third step is to forgive others, to offer our uh, forgiveness to others with a phrase like, I too have been hurt or harmed or disappointed, betrayed by others in one way or another, intentionally or unintentionally. I offer my forgiveness. So this simple forgiveness practice can help us forgive and can help us to weaken and to give up all these thoughts of anger or resentment. If we do not forgive, then we carry these thoughts of anger, ill will, resentment with us often for days, weeks, or months, many years. And these thoughts of anger, resentment, they are a heavy burden on our hearts. And it's also a lot of unnecessary baggage that takes a lot of space up in our heart. You know, for example, in order to show overweight people 
how much unnecessary weight they carry around with them. They are given a backpack that is as heavy as they are overweight. So if a person is 10 kgs overweight, this person has to carry a backpack of 10 kgs, or likewise 15 kgs, 20 kgs. And so then walking with this backpack uh, for a couple of hours, it's tiring, and one feels the heavy weight on one's shoulders. And then when the person can put down the backpack, the person feels an immense relief. And likewise, we too can feel a great relief by letting go of these heavy thoughts of resentment or anger. And we can let go of them with forgiveness. Jack Kerouac, he was an American writer and one of the most important representatives of the Beat Generation. He had said, in a way, forgiveness sometimes simply means that we choose to not carry along the hate inside because we understand that it poisons us. And if we have done something so terrible that we cannot forgive ourselves, then we can hand it over to the universe or to God or to the devas. And we could say, dear universe, dear devas, or dear God, I cannot forgive myself yet. Can you help me find forgiveness within? So forgiveness is something that happens inside, inside the heart and the mind. And then as a second step, it can be expressed in external actions. You know, words of forgiveness, offering our forgiveness to somebody else, or ask for forgiveness, or setting up a foundation like the Daughters of Life Foundation. <clears throat> Here is another story from the Middle East, and it happened in 2005 in another uh, refugee camp on the West Bank. In November of that year, an Israeli soldier shot a 12-year-old Palestinian boy, and this boy was playing with a toy gun, and the soldier took it for a real one. The father of that boy when he was young, he was fighting, 
but he had never killed anybody. And later on, when he was a bit older, he was much more uh, calmer, more considerate. And so when his son was uh, killed, the father and the mother, they decided to donate their son's organs to Israeli children. And so in this way, six Israeli children could be saved. Later on, when the father was asked what prompted him to do this extraordinary deed, he replied, it is the laugh for the children. They need help regardless of their nationality or religion. So on the one hand, there was this unconditional love. And on the other hand, there was the deep desire to alleviate the suffering of others. And so the strong power of love and compassion resulted in forgiveness. So forgiveness as the power to live in peace with the past, to live in peace with oneself, to live in peace with the world. Now I want to turn the attention to a very practical advice given by the Buddha. At one time he said, if you give birth to a grudge or hatred towards any person, cultivate loving kindness towards that person. Thus, the grudge, the hatred towards that person can be removed. So a characteristic of the Buddha's teaching is the fact that the presence of hatred or a grudge is seen to be rather a problem for the subject, for the person who has it, rather than for the object, the person towards whom it is directed. And so the metta practice is not about doing something to change the other person. The metta practice is rather to change oneself, to transform one's own heart and mind. So looking from a Buddhist point of view, the reason for the grudge, for the hatred, is entirely irrelevant. Whether it is right or wrong, the holding of a grudge or anger is first of all doing damage to oneself. So in this verse saying, giving birth to a grudge or anger, this can be replaced with giving birth to ill will or envy and so on. Whether it be a grudge, aversion, ill will, this is an unhealthy, a toxic state of mind. 
And these toxic mental states, they are like poison for the heart. And by repetitive thoughts of anger, ill will, they are kept alive and they are nurtured, they are strengthened. You know, it's like the anger eating demon, that story that I told in the first retreat. So nurturing a grudge or anger towards another person is like drinking poison oneself and then hoping the other person dies of it. As we have seen, Eva Kaur was able to forgive all those who had created so much suffering to her, to her family, and to millions of other people. She had realized that otherwise she would continue to drink the poison herself. So the Buddha treats a grudge, anger, as an affliction that needs to be healed for the sake of our own well-being. And the medicine or the remedy is loving-kindness, preferably in high doses. And so seen in this light, loving-kindness includes forgiveness. When there is pure, genuine metta for a person we dislike or hate, then this is also forgiveness. Now I want to relate a couple of encounters with a metta person whose strong, powerful metta left a lasting impression on me. And this person is Venerable Mahagosananda. He was a Cambodian monk. He was the supreme patriarch of Cambodia. And he was a peace activist. Like after um, the genocide of the Khmer Rouge, later on he conducted many peace marches throughout Cambodia. He died 13 years ago. At that time he was living in the United States. So The first encounter I had with him was 1997. Here in Burma, at that time, I was at the forest center of Chanmyayeta. The forest center was in Mobi, 30 kilometers north of Yangon. At that time, Sayadaw Oindaka was the abbot of that forest center. So one day around lunchtime, they got a telephone from the center in Yangon that a foreign monk would come visit the forest center. But they could not say who this foreign monk was, but you know that he would give a Dhamma talk to the Burmese meditators, to the foreign meditators. 
And so we waited, and around 2 o'clock, the car came, and out of the car came Venerable Mahagosananda. And he was, he was going to give a Dhamma talk in English. And then Sayada Oindaka said, and you, do Arya, you translate. At that time, my Burmese was really not good. <laughs> I could, you know, from Burmese to translate into English was easier than from English into Burmese. And so as, as, as soon as he had said that, my heart started to pound. My knees started trembling. But I realized there was nobody around who could do any better job. So I thought, okay. <laughs> and so then in the hall, meditation hall, all the Burmese foreign meditators were there. Venerable Mahagosananda sat on the big chair, like here. I sat at the foot of the chair, and I had Mimi next to me so that she could help me. And, you know, my heart, if I only had known, I could have prepared myself maybe a little bit. And Venerable Mahagosananda started with the Namotasa. The way we chanted, that's the international pronunciation. Burmese people, they pronounce it a bit differently. And so, when Venerable Mahagosananda had recited it three times, I did the Burmese version. Namo tata bhagavato arahato tamma tambo tata. Of course, you know, the Burmese, they had understood what he said. But reciting it three times, the Burmese do it, within that time span, from being uh, extremely nervous and uh, restless, my mind just quieted down. And by the end of reciting it three times, I was sitting there, peaceful, calm, completely at ease. It was like, <clears throat> what is happening here? <laughs> Somehow, I felt so strongly Venerable Mahagosananda's metta. It had this powerful effect on me. And then he started talking, and I uh, translated as best as I could, and I just did the best I could with many mistakes. It didn't matter. I was just so at ease and peaceful. So Venerable Mahagosananda, you know, through his years of meditation practice and what he had to go through, uh, what happened to his country, Cambodia, he knew that the real enemy lies within. The actual danger is in the heart and mind of people. During the regime of the Khmer Rouge, 
when thousands of Cambodians fled uh, to Thailand. Venerable Mahakosananda, he had also left Cambodia, so he went to visit these refugee camps on the border. And we must understand, you know, thousands, millions of people were killed. So each person who made it abroad had lost family members, spouses, children, mothers, fathers. Also their villages were destroyed, houses were destroyed, monasteries were destroyed. And so when Venerable Mahagosananda went to that refugee camp, he announced that on the following day there would be a Buddhist ceremony, and all who wished were welcome to attend. Buddhism had been desecrated by Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, and so people were curious if anyone would go. But then the next day, 10,000 refugees came to that place where the ceremony was going to take place. It was an enormous gathering. And they had built a little stage. There was a simple chair on that stage. And Venerable Mahagosananda sat up there on the chair in silence for quite some time. And then he began with the invocations, the chants that usually start a Buddhist ceremony. And when people heard these chants, they just started weeping because they had been through so much hardships, so much suffering, so many difficulties. So that just to hear these precious words was so precious. And then, of course, everybody wondered what Venerable Mahagosananda was going to say to these people, having undergone so much suffering. But then, what he did next was to start chanting a verse from the Dhammapada. It was the verse Hatred never ceases by hatred. By love alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. So over and over, Venerable Mahagosananda chanted this verse. And again, we must remember that these refugees were people who had as much reason to hate anyone on earth as people could have. But Venerable Mahagosananda, peacefully, he just repeated this verse. And as he did so, people started to join in the recitation of this verse. And finally, thousands of people chanting in unison Hatred never ceases by hatred. By love alone it will cease. This is an eternal law. So having Venerable Mahakosananda as a strong leader 
people could join these words. And they must have known in the heart or intuitively that this was true and that the only way to heal their deep wounds was by love, by forgiveness. Then my second encounter with Venerable Mahakosananda was in 2005. At that time, I was teaching in the United States at the Forest Refuge, which is part of the IMS, Inside Meditation Society. And I was teaching there for one month. And a friend there invited me to come to Venerable Mahakosananda's birthday celebration. It was his 76th birthday. Not so far from IMS, Forest Refuge, there is a small Cambodian temple, and by that time, Venerable Mahakosananda lived there. And by that time, he already suffered from Alzheimer's disease. So for this birthday celebration, they had put up a big tent on the compound with a stage. And so then Venerable Mahakosananda sat there on the stage, just sitting there. During the whole ceremony, he did not say one word. It was other monks that did chantings, that gave speeches, and so on. And at the very end, one could go up, one person at a time, and in front of him there was a little table with two balls. In one ball there were rose petals, and there was another ball filled with some water. And Venerable Mahagosananda held his hands over the ball with the water, and so one could take some rose petals and let them drop into his hands. Apparently, in that Cambodian culture, this was a way of wishing him well, wishing also a long life. So he just sat there and um, we passed one by one. After the whole ceremony was finished, this friend who took me along said, I want to introduce you to a Cambodian lady. So he took me to her, an elderly lady, and she told me her story. And it was atrocious. I could hardly believe that such cruelty could be done. But she told me. She said that in Cambodia, the soldiers of the Khmer Rouge came to her village, killed many people, and they, dig, they dug a big pit where they threw in all the corpses. People had died. And they took her and threw her 
in the pit with all these dead people too. After that, they covered it with earth. And she said, so there she was. And she said, the devas came and dropped me water into my mouth. So she didn't die, and somehow then she had the strength to get out. Then later on, when the soldiers noticed that she was still walking around, had not died, they took a big knife and cut two big pieces of flesh out of her thigh and buttock, thinking that then she would die of an infection because she had no way to see a doctor or get any medical help. And she said again, at night, the devas would come and clean her wound, take care of her wound. So she didn't get an infection. She survived. And somehow, she could make it over uh, to Thailand, over the border. And there, from that refuge, refugee camp, then she uh, she went to the United States and lived in that area. So when she related this story to me, I could not notice any hatred in her voice or in her gestures. And when she finally had finished telling her story, she made a step forward and gave me this big hug. And it was this most intense and most loving hug that I had ever received. It was simply overwhelming. So then after that, I reflected that yes, she had taken Venerable Mahagosananda's advice to heart. She really could replace the hatred with metta because she realized it was only the forgiveness, the metta, that could, deep, that could heal the deep wound of her hatred. She had also understood that it was her, for her own sake, that it was for her own physical and mental well-being. She had come to see that for her, there was no other choice than to let go of the hatred, no other choice than to fill her heart with kindness, with love. So whether we call it forgiveness or whether we call it metta, a kind, a loving, a forgiving heart has the power to appease and to extinguish the burning fires of hatred, of resentment, or ill will. So may we all be able to remember the Buddha's words and follow the Buddha's advice of removing a grudge or anger 
by cultivating loving kindness. And can we one day say with the Gaza doctor, I shall not hate? So may we all embody metta through our actions of body, speech, and mind for the benefit of all living beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.